0: Hi, this is Keith, and welcome to Klezmer Podcast 59 for Wednesday, December 2nd, 2009. The website is klezmerpodcast.com, and you can send email to keith at klezmerpodcast.com. And now you can support Klezmer Podcast by buying your music directly from the website. Just go to klezmerpodcast.com and click on the link for Klezmer Podcast's Music Delicatessen. Now, my interview guest for this episode of the podcast is trombonist Dan Blacksburg. I've known Dan for many years and have always enjoyed his playing with so many different groups that I've seen him with. This interview was recorded on August 28, 2009 at Klez Canada. This is the first chance I've really had to sit down and actually talk to Dan about his music and his background. And I think you'll find it very interesting to hear Dan talk about his background and musical experience and how he's grown so much as a Klezmer player. So here we go with my interview with Dan Blacksburg. Hi, this is Keith, and uh, we're live at Klez Canada 2009, still day five. Weather's gotten a little bit nicer, clouds have parted, and it's nice and sunny again. And I'm visiting now with Dan Blacksburg, a world-famous trombone player from the Philadelphia area and a longtime time Canada participant and uh, staff member. So, Dan, welcome to uh, Closer Podcast, first time I've gotten a chance to speak with you. Thanks very much, Keith. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, how you got started coming to Close Canada and kind of the levels that you've... Uh, move through since uh, you've been coming here, and, and what you're doing professionally today.
1: Well, um, I started going to Klezmer camps. Uh, you know, my my father had a friend who was very big and has in the scene and has an archive at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, a coworker of my father's, and he said you have to come to Klez camp. And this was probably in the early, in the 80s or the early 90s, and my father said, "I don't know what this. What I don't know what this is." So then, about, uh, I'd say about 2002, I started getting interested in klezmer, and he did too, and we started playing tunes out of a fake book, and had a couple of klezmatics records and stuff like that. And then uh, when I went to a New England Conservatory in the fall of 2002, one of the first things that happened was I met Michael Winograd. And he was a very impressive person at the time he said you have to go to klez camp so i went to klez camp and uh you'd been playing what what style just regular uh, classical jazz i've been playing classical and jazz you know high school music yeah. you know all yeah. the stuff that you get to do youth orchestras outside jazz bands uh you know different kinds of things and uh in klezmer i found like i was able to apply a lot of the jazz stuff And uh, I played in Pete Sokolow's band that first year, I remember. And it was just really a lot of fun. And I got to meet these people, you know, like Frank London and, you know, Susan, and all these people who were just, you know, I had heard about. So then uh, we found out about Klesk Canada. We decided to come to Klesk Canada. So that was the summer of 2003. That was the first one. So now it's 2009. I'm on my seventh Klesk Canada. And... um, it's really interesting, so every year it seemed like things just got more interesting. I think the second year at Clez camp, I had to play I had to fill in for somebody to play this Yiddish radio thing with all these t- staff members there, and also that was arranged by Pete Sokolow and you know I was the youngest person in the band by at least twenty years <laughs> right and uh you know, and that worked out. And that same summer, Frank invited, I mean, the same winter, Frank invited me to sit in with his brass band at a gig in New York, kind of just like a post-Klezz Camp blowout kind of thing. And at Klezz Canada, things were just, you know, I started playing, over the years, I started playing on staff concerts with people, and uh, that would end up sort of happening more and more. And sometimes, you know, I would play maybe six or seven times between the stu- two staff concerts, and I wasn't staff or anything. And so, uh,
0: and and what, what did you think about being asked uh, early on like that to be in the in the staff performances when when you really weren't, uh, uh, you know, on the staff yet? Or but but you, you obviously felt that you know they were noticing you. It was pretty much the coolest thing in the world. I mean,
1: you know. The Clasmatics were definitely really instrumental in getting me interested in the music at the beginning, which is funny because now I'm haven't I don't listen to anything <laughs> older than nineteen sixty. But that's not entirely true. But um the uh but you know, when when your idols tell you, hey, can you come play with me? Uh it's pretty satisfying it's pretty exciting so that was i remember pretty clearly going to see the first concert of the klezmatics woody guthrie music in december of whatever the heck that was and after the concert frank goes oh are you around next saturday blah 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 after close camp you should come play this concert and i was just like you know freaking out for a good week so that was good i wish i was still that uh (laughs) excited about all this stuff (laughs) Um, no, it's still really fun. I actually still get a kick out of when people ask me to play. Yeah. And there's still plenty of people here who I really look up to and feel like I can learn a lot from. But now, as the years have gone on, I feel like I can really, uh, play with them as opposed to just sort of be there. So I have something to offer, more to offer now than I did maybe four or five years ago. Um... When so then some so Klez Canada Klez Camp uh, I played in a Klezmer ensemble led by Hankus at NEC, and that was sort of a bunch of things, and and I you know I did a bunch of stuff and I remember so my senior year of college this is 2006, uh, I had played you know we had been starting to play gigs I had played with some Boston bands and I had just played with some uh, and played like some New York stuff and different things, and then. Uh, I got a call from Michael Alpert to come play with German Goldenstein in Krakow, Poland in the summer. So here I am in college. This was another total freak-out time, and I was feeling... That
0: wasn't that long? That was a couple years ago or uh, that was, three years ago?
1: Yeah, that was three years ago. And then, of course, German passed away about two weeks before the concert, so it became a memorial concert. But there, when I was there, uh, you know, that was the first time... I had been around the teachers without any students around, so that was a different experience, but I felt I was you know I felt welcomed and that was that's an incredible thing. I think that's something that's really wonderful about this scene is that the people who are the absolute best at what they do are still humble enough and have enough space in their lives to welcome people coming up and that there's not this kind of like weird nebulous middle ground like you would have in other kinds of music where it's like, eh, there's some good people, but there's not good. People. It's like the people at the top here, the teachers here are the best people playing this music, period. So that's what's amazing about it. Um, and since then, you know, I've done, uh, tours with Frank London in Europe, and I've done gigs in New York. I've played in, I've played, uh, benefit for the Yiddish theater and, you know, town hall and things like that, and it's been, so it's just been really amazing that people can welcome me into the scene still as a young person and often being on situations where I'm the youngest guy by 10 or 20 years. Uh, you know besides the fact that there's and now there's a really community of of people my age like me and Michael Winograd and uh, we've got some other people here from New York which is sort of our scene Patrick Farrell and Jake and Benji and the Fox Rosens and um, but then recently it's been really amazing to see some other people sort of come together in their own scenes that we can sort of mix with here like the people the Canadians like the Lithuanian Empire people and who are actually not all Canadian but whatever and (laughs) And they're all, and everybody's sounding really good, and that's what's exciting to me, is when people start sounding good, because then, you know, I play trombone. Trombone role in klezmer music is a middle role. We don't play the melody, we don't play the rhythm. So we need everything else. In order to be able to have fun, I need everybody else to be really good. So the more good melody players and rhythm players there are out there, the more fun I can have. So
0: that's sort of where we are right now. And so, and tell me about this uh, summer so far prior to camp. You, you were in Weimar and doing some other stuff in Europe. What, what was that like? Well, the last couple of years,
1: uh, I've been involved in this project with Alan Byrne called The Other Europeans Project, which was uh, started under the auspice of the EU through a uh, new music collaborations culture grant. And what that did is we took sort of a uh, all-star Klezmer band which included a lot of people who have been to Klez Canada like uh, Christian David and Stas Reiko and Alan and uh, then some other folks like uh, Paul Brody who's in Germany and actually native Californian <laughs> and um, and then Mark Rubin who is a stalwart at Klez Camp but hasn't been here and uh, we put those and all those people came together with a group of musicians from Eastern Europe, which was two guys from Moldova, two guys from uh, Budapest, two guys, uh, one guy from France, and one guy from Bulgaria, and they had they were playing music. We were all playing music from a region in northern Moldova where we had figured out that Jews and Gypsies had played together and were intermarried, and you know, as the as the Someone from there said, sometimes the best Jewish musician was a gypsy and the best gypsy musician was Jewish. So it was a really kind of amazing mix of things in a place where where Jewish music wasn't proprietary—none of this stuff was proprietary to the ethnic group. So the first year, this was a two-year project, and of course the band now is established and we're still around, but we don't have any—we're not under—we're not working under a plan right now. We're just a band. But the first year of the project was to establish the separate things, the Jewish band and the Lautari band, which is sort of the Roma word for professional musician, and playing the repertoire from this area. And a lot of tunes that you know, uh, that we're familiar with, especially like Abe Schwartz recordings and early Taras stuff, are from that area. So you... um, And of course, a lot of the German Goldenstein repertoire is from that area, but it's really important to know... That the music that German played was not Jewish music or Gypsy music; it was Moldovan music, which is which is like you know Christian Moldovans' mu- music. But he was playing it; it was popular music, and he was playing it for Jewish weddings. And he played it in a somewhat Jewish style, I guess. Although now that we're meeting some other people from that area, it kind of makes everything a lot more complicated than it used to be. Um, and so the first year, this was last year, we had our Yiddish band, and we had our Roma band. And that was really fun, because it was a really great Yiddish band, and the Roma band was just like, mind-blowing. And uh, then this summer, we put both bands together, so now it's a 14-piece ensemble. And we've got like three clarinets, and we've got uh, two, accord- you know, an accordion and piano. I'm the only trombone, there's only one drum. Two bass players, two violinists, you know, two trumpet players. And what we do now is kind of like is sort of like making like exploring the connections between tunes and between styles and you know, a tune a good example is a tune that's like um so then the, the, Moldovans had a tune that was like, <laughs> stuff like that. So we mix those two tunes. You play, you know, the first time you play it one way, you play it another way. Other times you would break up into different sections and you would sort of stick to one type of music or another, but you just put them back to back and it sort of comes together. And it's, you know, it's a concert band, so it's not really like a, although I'm sure it would be one hell of a dance band, (laughs) too. Sure. But, uh, so that's, we put together these sort of pieces, these suites that have some klezmer and some Lautari music together. And then I think that as time goes on, each time we get together, new things emerge and different kinds of things happen. And we're also always exploring back also to find connections in older music, like music from the 20s and 30s. Uh, we found a lot of connections in um, Romanian military brass band stuff, which is a little hokey, but there's some things that are like kind of interesting connections between two diff- the two different types of music. And then you see how it came from that, where they were existing, coexisting, and then now where there's no klezmer there, and the Lautarian music has gone off in a, very, very intense and virtuosic direction. Hmm. So anyway, that's been this summer. I was in, uh, we played all over in uh, Vienna and in the Krakow Festival and in Weimar. And then we taught for a week in Weimar. And, um, you know, and a lot of the people were here. I mean, a lot of, I've seen, there's a lot of people who are here at Klesk Canada who are in Weimar and, you know, it's, I mean, that's the great thing about the Klesmer scene in the end is that it's just a global community. It's really you know, the 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 whole Jewish thing, it used to be it's like a global local scene. You know, it's like this weird little local scene except there's no local. The local is the whole world. It's just the local is the people. You know, and then they converge at these kind of programs and you get these
0: then you get a big rush of stuff. Thanks. Right, so you you see the same Circle of people show up in Canada, they show up in Weimar, they show up in London or wherever, Krakow, uh, but you add some of the the local uh, people that show up to these things as as well as you guys that are traveling internationally, right? right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not really, it's, I mean, there's, you know, there's a core, there's, there's, certain, it's not really a core group of people, but there are some people who, who, for maybe for a couple years, will sort of jump around to a bunch of them, and then they will, might stick to one that's close to home, and then there's always certain people who are like, this one's my program, and, and there's a couple people, like, I, when I was a student, I was going to the ones in North America, I went to Close Camp and Close Canada, you know, every year for, I've been doing that for seven years, and, uh, you know, And so, so, but, but that in, in the end, there's enough overlap, or at least the people who are going to multiple ones know every, know people from every ones that it just feels like one big thing, you know, and there's sort of these regional styles, like at at least the organizations have styles, like Clubs Canada has a very specific vibe and Clubs Camp has a very specific vibe and Weimar has a very specific feeling to it when you're there. And that's partially the leadership. It's mostly geography. But um,
0: that's just what makes it interesting. And what's it been like for you making the transition into teaching now? Uh, So you've been teaching, you taught here last year, right? Was that your first year?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um, what's that been like for you? Well, it's a lot more tiring. (laughs)
1: Can't stay up as late. Although I wish I could. But the... um, you end up wanting to play a lot less. That's what's interesting. When you're a student you just can't get enough and then you're a teacher, you're like, ah, uh, maybe I'll go to bed. <laughs> you know, and um
0: but yeah, I used to used to be used to be doing the cabaret till very late at night. Yeah,
1: but now I don't need to because everybody's listening to me already all day. You know. Right. I don't right. I don't have I don't need any more attention. <laughs> um I think that it's 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 a pretty for me it's a big learning curve because there's so many different levels here and I'm and and you really have to figure out how to get get it done. You know, we've got some pretty clear goals here, but at the same time, you don't need to do anything specific to achieve those goals. You need to make a performance. So it's really whatever you can get, whatever you can do. And I find out more and more. Basically, the trick is to come in with a really strict plan and then abandon it as soon as you get here. <laughs>
0: so i think that um the, the hallmark of 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 instruction yeah you know imagine. So what, what, what feels good once you get on the scene
1: yeah right? you imagine you imagine that it's going to happen one way and you plan everything out and then as soon as you get there you do something completely different <laughs> um the you know I, I think a great example would be the ear band that i'm doing with michael winograd this year i think we we both came into this thinking it would be a dance band and then six Bass, three tubas and three bass players showed up and you can't really you can't like have kind of a random you can't leave that stuff to chance so now it's like a performance band you know that's just the kind of thing and it's, That's I mean that's what makes it awesome I am I get so bored in curriculum situations that I'd rather have something that's challenging in this way um, yeah and just I mean trying to figure out ways to teach what I do because I think that you know I think that as a trombone player uh there's something to offer in that in like the, the the trombone role in the music that 's really fun and that you don't really hear a lot and so it's it's that's been that's definitely been a a continuing process of trying to figure out how to communicate that to people
0: cool so what's uh coming up for you during this next year what what's uh what's your Experience uh, gonna be over the next year. I really
1: wish I knew. Um things are living in Philadelphia and sort of not I don't know. I'm being a Trombone player, I uh things are pretty quiet in the future, at least for now. I mean, I know there'll be some playing with Dan Kahn and his band will be doing a little tour. Um and then um Oh, no, really not very much. Just try. I think for right now, it's going to be a sort of incubation period coming up at least until probably until December,
0: unless some really good things happen. But, you know, I'll survive. Have you thought about uh, putting your own band together at some point? Well, I would like to put
1: my own stuff together. It's really hard to figure out how to integrate my whole musical life because Klezmer is is part of who I am and then the other stuff is very kind of... uh, It sort of is coming from a very different direction and is pretty hard to reconcile musically. So I'm trying to sort of... Maybe not... Just, I don't know, I have to... That's part of the incubation period coming up. And it's really... I think in the end it comes down to my own trombone playing and what I can express that and then how I can be as versatile as possible on that, and that gives me an opportunity to play. I mean, part of the thing is that everything I do is improvised. Even in Klezmer music, it's almost all improv, improvising the whole time. So I'm a much better improviser than a composer. I can come up with things at the spot that I've never been able <laughs> to repeat at home in the, in front of a piece of paper. So, I mean... You know, I've got, and I actually, you know, I actually have some, uh, like a sort of an avant-garde jazz project that has a record coming out in some time in the near future, and, um, but I don't really, I, that that band doesn't really exist anymore, so I don't really know how that's going <laughs> to change my life, but I think it's, you know, onwards and sideways. If you get, you get ups and downs, and you just hope it sort of evens out and becomes a little better over time. But I can't I mean you know i'm twenty five I don't have many worries in the world. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with what I've been able to do and what I'm going to be able to do
0: cool so uh if people wanna look you up on the on the internet somewhere or find out where you're gonna be performing, how can they uh, find you okay well i haven't I have a website, but don't go there, please. It's embarrassing um
1: and so and that also doesn't have any accurate information I think the last gig that was posted there was in February Um, but hopefully that'll change eventually and in that case I'll let you know but MySpace uh, you know www.myspace.com slash Dan Blacksburg music and that'll get you to things, there's really not a lot of. there's no sound samples of Klezmer on there I don't know why, maybe there is I don't think so, but you'll hear some real weird stuff there which I like and if I'm not a lazy bum, you'll see where I'm playing. But uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, I am. And so you just sort of hope I'm there. <laughs> Go to the concert. Hope I'm there.
0: Go to all the concerts and see if Dan is there. Yeah. <laughs> great. All right, Dan. Well, hey, thanks uh, so much for sitting down and talking to me for a few minutes. Uh, it's the first time I've had a chance to really get to know you. So uh, I think you're great. I love watching and listening to you all the time and continue good success. Thank you very much. (laughs)
2: Oh <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. we
0: this is Michael Wax. You know, I hate Klezmer music, but I love the Klezmer podcast. And this is Klezmerpodcast.com. Okay, I'm back. That was my interview with trombonist Dan Blacksburg. And we got to hear a couple of excerpts from some of his work. The first one we heard was a recording that I made from Dan's uh, set at Close Canada this year. Uh, We heard the track uh, Glendy, originally by Dave Tarras. That featured Dan on trombone, Patrick Farrell on accordion, and Joey Weisenberg on poik. The second track we heard was from Dan's group, uh, Dan Blacksburg's Yiddish Sextet, from a live concert performance they did. That featured Dan on trombone, Frank London on trumpet, Michael Winograd on clarinet, Brandon Seabrook on banjo, Ron Caswell on tuba, and Richie Barche on percussion. So once again, a big thank you to Dan for appearing on the podcast and for giving me that live concert track to play. So that's about it for Klezmer Podcast 59. Again, the website is klezmerpodcast.com. And once again, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or if you have a band that would like you to have your music played on the podcast, Or if you have a recent or soon-to-be-released CD you would like me to review, please send an email to keith at klezmerpodcast.com. I also encourage you to follow me on MySpace, Facebook, last.fm, and now Twitter, as well as Skype at username klezmerpodcast. And as a reminder, the music heard on Klezmer Podcast is for promotional purposes only and is used with permission. Thanks for listening. Please stay subscribed, tell your friends, and until next time, bye for now.